The Third Man Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Third Men Podcast, the Jack White Third Men Records History Program, and I am your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. Paul, how's it going? We have two elephants behind us and one ahead, and I'm just looking to ride this thing to the end now. Yeah, I'm looking to poach them. So, I'm a poacher now. I think. Are we doing... I thought we were done with bits. I I (laughs) should... So we're uh, we're returning for part three of three of our album analysis and review of the White Stripes album Elephant. Thank you for those who joined us for parts one and two. If you didn't, and you're coming in for this one, I, I don't know why. Yeah, it's a strange ask to say, join us for the first time in part three of something. But look, it worked for Star Trek, it'll work for other things. Man, really wish James had watched that Picard finale last night, but he didn't. <laughs> Didn't, won't. (laughs) (laughs) So um, in parts one and two, we went over the album's inception. We went over the recording of the record. We went over the release of the record. We went through our uh, Ken Burns Civil War style correspondence with Ben Blackwell filled with questions about the record and we started on the track by track and got about halfway through. Mm-hmm. So today on the program, we are going to finish 
the track by track, talk a little bit about reception, and then, James, we're going to discuss just a little bit about the Elephant 20th Anniversary Vault Package, which I'm to understand my sources are telling me that we have both received. Uh, yes. That is not a lie. That It sounded like I was that lying there. That did sound there. like a lie. I think, <laughs> it was not I a lie. What James was attempting to mask there for a moment was that he had not perhaps absorbed everything within the contents <laughs> of the package. This is me guessing. Uh, I opened it. I looked at the book. You unboxed uh, it? I unboxed it. Of course I unboxed it. Oh, man. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> so why are you getting in- <laughs> why are you getting on my case? I should have done it on YouTube. Everything's content, right? Everything is content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so James, there's been a lot we've gone over. We insist that we have other episodes recorded here. But we are going to get this thing done. And we're going to talk about the vault I popped that DVD in this morning, and oh boy, what a treasure trove, James. I am excited to watch. I haven't yet, but I'm excited to watch. The one thing, well, I, we're not we're not into the vaults. Are we just going to do the vault thing now? We're going to talk about all of that stuff later in the episode. But first, James, we have to get through these track-by-tracks here. And where last we left our heroes, we were on one of my favorites, a spectacular display of the White Stripe's power and ability... Hardest button to button. amazing that they have so many hard-hitting singles like so many instantly classic singles on this particular album i mean the last album wasn't really an exception you you had dead leaves in the dirty ground and fell in love with a girl but in this one having two of the biggest white stripe songs of all time on one album is it's great it seems like the you know they are obviously hitting their stride and uh it shows yeah, it's the third single from the album, and as you mentioned, James, it is a strong track. When I must admit, when I first heard this album, I wasn't quite so taken with this song, but over the years, not only has it grown on me, but it's become one of my favorite songs of theirs just in general, and 
one of my all-time favorite White Stripes music videos as well. It's an incredible music video that goes with this single, which, by the way, in the vault package, which we'll get to, they give you some beautiful eight millimeter behind the scenes footage of the mm. of the making of that music video, all silent. So Mark Watros had to provide piano like style incidental hardest button to button music throughout all what felt like 800 minutes <laughs> <laughs> well here's hoping um and here's a little tease for for those who are looking forward to non-elephant related content here's hoping we get to see frank and selmo in uh, behind the scenes footage there i did uh, look which, for him i looked yeah, for frank which we'll 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 get into a little bit more of that next episode Yeah. So this single performed very well. It was number one in the UK indie charts. So that's pretty damn good. Uh, Number 23 in just regular UK singles. So that's top 25. That's an awesome showing for the White Stripes in Britain. US alternative airplay charts number eight. And it also charted in the uh, Netherlands, Scotland, Ireland, Australia, all doing pretty well there. So yeah, this was a uh, this was a pretty it's a pretty big uh, single for them, and it was released on August eleventh, two thousand three. So it had some uh, considerable time away from the release of the initial record. And what's kind of funny about that is it had so much time between it and the recording of the song that. When you look at that video, Jack White has the cast on because he had broken his hand, so he's not actually playing in the video. <laughs> I was going to make a dumb joke, and I shouldn't. Um, but yeah, who cares? Broken boy fingers. Anyway, whoa! I just, I just had to I had to get it. I just said it. Get there. it out there. Just yeah. had to get it out there. Uh, yeah, song of the summer though. I mean, vibes. Huh? Mm-hmm. Released yeah. in August, or does that have to be released in spring for it to be a song of the summer? I don't know. I don't know the rules. This is another story song, this time about a broken family and a domineering patriarch who exclaims, we've got money and a little place to fight now. More death of the sweetheart in this Uh uh this track. Yeah, Yeah, Jack was quoted as saying, there's a button at the top of my navy peacoat, and it's the hardest button to button. I thought that that was a great metaphor for the off man out in the family. It also comes from sayings of my father, like... My uncle Harold had a 10-button vest, but he could only fasten eight. <laughs> I, I do love that. I love that little bit of seasoning on top yeah. of the explanation for <laughs> that this That little song. colloquialism. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm going to start using that, I guess. I, I'll say that. It's, you know what it reminds me of is uh, put it there if it weighs a ton, which is the saying that McCartney's father used to tell him that he put in song. Um, he did that uh, another time with uh, Do It Now. Third Man photographer David Swanson recalled his contribution to this song in an uncut interview. I was there with Jack and Meg, filming and photographing the making of the album, but there was too much feedback in between the verse riffs, so Jack tried to turn on a compressor pedal to kill it, but it became a nuisance, so I was enlisted to play the compressor pedal on the song, Turning it off and on between every riff, which is kind of cool. Uh, you can you can hear it; it's a pretty significant part of the song, and another one on this record that uses feedback in a significant way. Mm-hmm. I love this song. I, I mean, I don't have much to say about it other than it's it is a favorite of mine, and 
kind of packs in all of those jackisms that we love so much, be it the riff, be it the oscillation between quiet and loud, you know, that great Meg drum pattern. She's just on fire at this one. Great work there. And sounding really slick, too. Mm -hmm. The drumming, it's kind of the main feature of this tune with the bass drum kind of being the focal point. It's one of those songs where when you heard it for the first time, it catches your ear because it's it's very different. Yeah, and it's got a lot of quiet in it, uh, and the quiet kind of really makes the rest of the tune and the lyrics pop. It, it feels manic. It sounds like a heartbeat, the doom doom doom, mm-hmm. and then bam 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 bam, and then whoa shit, you know, it's like there's like a a, a calm to I don't know startled kind of thing happening throughout the song, which makes it a little is an uneasy feeling about it, but at the end of the day, it's just a really, really strong cut. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to the next track here, James, and another favorite of mine. And I don't know, maybe that's a controversial statement, but then again, I'm the guy who took a dump all over black math and got some people mad at me. So <laughs> who knows? Little acorns, little acorns. She told me that late one autumn day when she was at her lowest, she watched a squirrel storing up nuts for the winter. One at a time, he would take them to the nest. And she thought, if that squirrel can take care of himself with a harsh winter coming on, so can I. Once I broke my problems into small pieces, I was able to carry them, just like those acorns, one at a time. This song was uh, when I was fr- uh, like hanging out with Frank in high school, and we would discuss the White Stripes. He he was like a casual fan. He would bring up Elephant as like this really great album, and he'd be like, "Everything except the stupid song Little Acorns." <laughs> but I love it. I do. I I changed my mind on it um, during the uh, "Would You Fight for My Love" episodes we did. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yes, this song does appear a little random on the album. I agree with Frank. It does kind of come out of nowhere, but that's kind of one of the quirky things I love about it. And this song did kind of just happen by happenstance to begin with. There's a quote from Jack that says, My brother, who works at a radio commercial distribution place, had been bringing around tapes for me to record on. I was recording a piano melody, and when I played it back, it had this guy speaking on the other track. (laughs) Totally accidental. I based a song around his story. He's actually a famous news anchorman in Detroit, Mort Krim. I thought he'd hate it. He loved it. (laughs) 
And then Jack White was also quoted as saying, for those of you not in the Detroit area, Mort Krim is the local newscaster on our NBC affiliate. He's about 170 years old and sits across from Carmen Harlan saying Detroit ain't so bad. And then tells us about the five-year-old girl that got caught in the middle of a gang-related shootout. (laughs) He's still alive. He's 87 to Mort is hanging in there. Yeah, it's um so yeah, this thing came about in happenstance. Although I got I got to tell you the actual song Jack wrote around this is is pretty damn good. Like it's yeah, it's a little like self-helpy, I guess, or something like that, like Mort's story was. But it's also kind of sneaky and sarcastic and I don't know. It's got these wonderful little lines here. I, I think about some of these things often. There, there's that bit, cut up your hair, straighten your curls. Your mm-hmm. problems hide in your curls. I, I don't know why. I just think about that all the time. It's, I think it's one of these things where Jack is being sarcastic to a lady character again, or that male character is being sarcastic to a lady character in the story again, because it's almost... As if he's saying, yeah, that's that's where your problems are. They're in your curls. <laughs> like, like he's pointing out this sort of mundane thing as if to say, maybe your problems are in there. And it kind of scans as sort of nasty and patronizing, but in like a really funny way <laughs> um, for some reason, uh, which kind of goes with the thematics of the rest of the record, frankly, from my point of view. But there was an interesting quote I found on this one from Dan John Miller. He said, when I first heard Elephant, just the whole album in general, something sounded wrong with the guitar tones. I guess it's a comfort thing. That older sounding raw garagey vein of tones. Some of that stuff sounds too Marshall-ish. But Jack was always pushing forward and it definitely grew on me. It was a little shocking at first. Like in Little Acorns. The sound really put me off. But now I love it. So that's interesting because the guitar tones on this song yeah are kind of huge and they sound more like the go than anything on like distill or something like that which are a little thinner you know but this one has that big robust screaming wall of guitar coming at you you know Mm -hmm. paul two things first of all back on mort crim here (laughs) back on that mort crim tip i know we discussed this i think briefly in that episode was he the uh, he inspiration the, for anchorman for ron burgundy yes. ron burgundy uh second of all he is available for voiceover work oh my god wait is he on like cameo or something he is no he's got his own website called mort crim speaks and you can he's got audiobooks and like oh. examples and stuff we could hire this man to do the intro to our podcast <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should give that as a Father's Day gift to each other. <laughs> At some point, someone's going to remember this episode when that happens on the show. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Okay, anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah, great guitar work on this song. <laughs> I also love that 60-ish sort of beat group vibe with the verses where he goes, oh, 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 oh. I, love, I just love that little inflection mm-hmm. he puts on it it's got a little elvis on it and stuff yeah it's great it, old rocker i will say that little inflection probably asserts the cheesy factor that frank uh, that my friend was going for there because it's got 
there's like a kitsch to it. It's just yeah. like it it feels it's sillier than the rest of the album. For being a like a hard rocking song, it's got that spinal tappy quality because it's silly and also like pretends to have an edge to it. Or maybe not pretends, but it has an edge to it. See, I just don't get spinal tap from this because it to me it's self aware. And I mean it it I I've come around to it quite a bit. It always did stick out like a sore thumb though to me. Boy, yeah, I, I don't know why. Maybe my tastes are just off, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Like this and the nurse to me are like examples of some of his best work. I think you're right on with the nurse. I think you're spot on with the nurse. That song is genius. Well, just uh, cause, or, like it has the whimsy of like rag and bone. Sure. Uh, rag and bone also it has the same kitsch quality. I feel like Rag and Bone is much more self-aware because you have Jack acting in it. Like him doing a little song and dance routine with Meg. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just really love this one. You know, and normally I'm not really all about those big chunky guitars, but in this it doesn't even bother me. The, the Marshall-y sort of sound that Dan John Miller's talking about. I actually love it. I love it because it's deployed to me with purpose. The whole song feels like a collage or something. So I guess it kind of is an audio collage in a way, but I don't know. I just really love this one, man. I don't know what to tell you. I love this one. Don't care for black math. Don't at me. Although many of you have. <laughs> um, I'm adding Paul right now. We've gotten a lot of feedback about how people did not care for me. That's because this back. album's chock full of feedback, Paul. Let's move oh, on to the next song. I want to hypnotize you, baby, on the telephone. <laughs> by Jack for The Henchman. That actually took me by surprise. I, I did not know that fact before uh, you started doing this research. And it fits. It, it definitely fits The Henchman vibe. Now that we're much more familiar with The Henchman after doing this podcast, it makes total sense to me. Yeah, for whatever reason, they just never recorded it. And um, Blackwell had shared with us the Jack White demos, which I had assumed were White Stripes demos, but actually when you look at the uh, the 45, it just says Jack White, because Jack plays all the instruments on those demos. So for those of you who have the vault, there's the single that comes with it. You can hear Jack demoing the song, and it's interesting because um, there's a couple different kind of takes on it, and one is sort of surfy, which is nice.
Ben also revealed to us that this was also secretly recorded during that November 5th, 2001 session. So the version you hear on Elephant is not from the spring 2002 session. It is another one that came from the November 5th uh, sort of meet and greet, let's call it, session at Toe Rag Studios in London. Mm-hmm. Supposedly a song about a guy who likes a girl but is too shy to approach her. He uh, dreams of hypnotizing her, so he will not have to reveal himself here comes that characters manipulating other characters mm-hmm. thing again which is a, a just a ripe old theme throughout this album and uh another one that never really jumped out to me i remember hearing it at the time I, I kind of having a similar reaction to this one as i did to black math where it just sounded like an older version of the white stripes which in this case you know, it was an older version of Jack's songwriting anyway. I don't know. I just didn't respond to it as much as I did something a little more kind of esoteric and out there, like something like Little Acorns, where that one grabs me, but Hypnotize doesn't really. I found things that I like about it over the years. And one of the things that I kind of was surprised about in this listen was that I found such similarity to Fell in Love with a Girl. Because when I think of Fell in Love with a Girl, I sort of think... Well, that's an outlier in the Stripes canon. You don't really get a lot of songs like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess you kind of do, from time to time anyway. And Hypnotize has that sort of, that boom, boom, that sort of 60s-ish kind of swing thing that Fell in Love with a Girl has. It's definitely got some of the lyrical, fun playfulness to it like with a lot of uh clever um analogies and specifically in the line i want to hold your little hand if i can be so bold and be your right hand man till your hands get old which i really love that line because it just starts off with something like holding your hand then uses the right hand man and then you know talking about your hands getting old it's just it's playful and clever and interesting and he does that a lot in his older early stripe stuff the stuff he wrote when he was younger that I really, really appreciate this kind of line. I called out that exact same line. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a favorite for me in the thing. And I, I do love the bridge section. There's those little repetitious notes that fill in the the broader bridge section. Mm-hmm. I kind of, it's funny, I like Jack's drumming pattern in the demo better than I think I like Meg's drumming pattern here. Although I don't think it's like bad. I th- it's just like a preference thing. But yeah, I guess I'm also a little curious as to why... They felt like they needed to trot this one out. I mean, Ben had intimated to us that there was a time when this album was envisioned as potentially a double album. So maybe that explains why they were pulling out these old songs and covers like, I just don't know what to do with myself. I find it curious because it is a very long runtime and you could have lost Hypnotize and I don't think really missed anything on the I guess I I do feel like it fits the motif of the album Jack obviously we've we've discussed you know no song is is trashed by Jack he he will pocket it until it's until it's usable or until it fits or it feels right and I feel like during this album it feels right to them Mm -hmm. Uh, so maybe they decided that's a good enough reason to put it on if they may be so bold 
if they may be so bold, then I can be so bold. <laughs> now that brings us to a track that I really love and I think is maybe even a, a superior version of a song like Hypnotize, which is The Air Near My Fingers. Mm. This is one of the earlier instances of Jack White rapping, I think. And to me, it's, yeah. it scans as authentic. Uh, or, <laughs> I know they don't like that term. It scans as authentic to Jack to be rapping in this way as opposed to somebody who's like doing it as a tryhard sort of thing. To me, he's blending that talky blues stuff with elements of hip-hop to get these cadences in the lyrics going and i also love how he uses inflection throughout this song on certain words like he says genius <laughs> i was gonna pull out that same thing genius. Now, i'm not a genius but maybe you'll remember this he reminds he rhymes genius with remember this uh it's, it's I mean, it's it's a genius line. I love it. And that line, the full line, I'm not a genius, but maybe you'll remember this. I never said I ever wanted to be your man. To be a man, I think it is. I thought it was be your man. Because he's talking about how a boy is not a man until they make a stand. I've always heard it as uh, be your man. But, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's looking. Let's try genius lyrics. Let's see. <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess looking at these different sources, be a man. Well, that's uh, there's that broken boy soldiers thing, though, in that. Mm -hmm. And he was palling around with Brendan at this point. I love that. I get nervous when she comes around, bit. It's like um, he's harmonizing himself in like a multi-track vocal in that. I guess you call it a bridge. It's sort of a bridge. And it almost has a cold, cold nighty kind of feel. This little mm -hmm. slinky kind of. It's got a groove to it. It's yeah. it's it's out of a different time it's it's an interesting uh, little little number he's got here another one with some great keyboard too and that's probably the highlight of the song for me one of the big things that breaks it apart from other harder rocking songs on the album is is that great key work on this one and again it's just all about contrast for me and this one has is filled with contrast honestly i sort of sometimes forget about this song but whenever i hear it i hear the white stripes just at maybe not the peak of their sophistication, but certainly on the you know upward trend of their sophistication. And I guess that's what I'm really responding to in this album, is it sounds very sophisticated, and the songs that sound a little more raw are the ones I'm not quite responding to, just personally, mm -hmm. which is funny because that's his whole thing, is raw. I mean, when you watch the DVD on the um, vault package, he talks about that and wanting to be raw, you know. 
raw or not, his professionalism and his process is getting more complex and he's gaining more understanding of the mediums he's working with and the i don't know just the industry as a as a whole i think he's getting much more sophisticated throughout it all even no matter how raw he wants it to be it's it's like modern jack white you you can't put the genie back in the bottle he's he knows too much at this point Uh, (laughs) and so you can't unlearn these things as much as he wants to which is partly why he probably didn't want meg to practice he wanted to maintain that feeling of the primitive feeling uh and when you learn too much you can't unlearn it it's like drawing a stick figure after you learn how to draw the mona lisa like you could do it but it's still gonna look better than (laughs) it's like anytime you i should say it's like anytime you see in a movie a kid's drawing that was obviously drawn by an adult it's like a mock-up of what a kid would draw instead so this is like a mock-up of what kids would be writing (laughs) it's funny to think about that because that's the, sort of the band's whole thing mm-hmm. is this artificial return Back. to innocence and childhood. Mm-hmm. But you can't grow younger. <laughs> you just yeah, can't. Well, that's why it's, I mean, when you look at uh, under great white Northern lights, when the band was in the process of splitting, you can see the frustration in Jack's face and he, he verbalizes it pretty directly. He says something to the effect of, well, I guess we're going to go back into the studio and do another White Stripes album and it's going to be the same, you know, we're going to put the same restrictions on me. And he sounds like bored. He sounds um, frustrated. Life is so boring. It's really got him snoring. <laughs> he sounds frustrated by it. And, and then he kind of comes around and he says, <laughs> he got nervous and he came around. <laughs> no, but he comes around and he says, uh, like, but I guess that is the restriction. You know, like he's trying to still justify it at that point, but... I don't have those inspirations like that anymore. Ten years later, with just working in the same box, you think, God, I'm, you know, I, one part of my brain says I'm tired of trying to come up with things in this box, you know, but I, but I force myself to do it because I know something good can come out of it if I, if I really work inside of it. Inspiration and, you know, work ethic, they, they, they ride right next to each other. When I was a poster, you know, uh, you, sometimes you're not inspired to reupholster an old chair. I mean, it, sometimes it's just work, and you just do it because you, you're supposed to. And by maybe by the end, and you finish, you look and say, "Ah, oh, that's that looks good. That's pretty good." And that's it. And you just move on. And that's it. I don't know. I'm more interested in Jack White branching out. None of this is a slam. I, I like. I'm I'm saying this in earnest. I think his music is getting more sophisticated, and his knowledge is growing. And I, I think his songwriting is getting way better and way more interesting and, and clever and... Uh, genius. And genius. But I do think he's still trying to hold on to that primitive sound, yeah. uh, which is why you still get hypnotized and black math and stuff. This song also has another uh, trying to impress a mother or, you know, just a love of mother. <laughs> <laughs> In the, in the last few lines. So I think that's that's yeah. interesting. It's another pretty prominent theme in his work. Which brings us to a song that it's one of the few songs that I think Meg ever talked about openly hating, which is Girl, You Have No Faith in Medicine. <laughs>
which determines if it will. Is the problem you're allergic to a well-familiar name? Do you have a problem with this one if the results are the same? Now, this one is really interesting because it's a holdover from white blood cells that got nixed from that album because Meg couldn't stand it because, well, I'll, I'll read the quotes here and then you can kind of get an understanding from the, from the horse's mouth. So from Jack White, this is a, an interview with Jack and Meg as captured by music journalist Keith Cameron. Jack starts here talking about this song, Girl, You Have No Faith in Medicine. It's about the irritation I was constantly getting with females arguing about headache medicine. Like, oh, I can't take Tylenol. It doesn't work. Whereas a guy would just take anything. He doesn't even think about it. It seems like a tiny thing, but it was a big telling sign of feminine behavior in my eyes. A guy can just put his coat on and run out the door, but a girl has to take... 25 minutes waddling around looking for her purse or whatever. Uh, Not that one's better than the other. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Wrong with that. But they're different. (laughs) And then Meg is just sitting there and she responds with, I don't know about that song. Makes me want to smack them a lot. (laughs) And (laughs) And Jack retorts, but is it true? And Meg says, I don't know, Jack. Maybe you're just hanging around with the wrong women. Whoa! And Jack laughs and says, you might be right about that, Meg. So I uh, love <laughs> Meg so much more. I the fact that this person who is so, like, she's got an anxiety disorder. She is timid. She is, you know, uh, often silent. To say that shit to his face is bold, and I love it so much. I have a a few things to unpack from this suitcase that I got thrown. I am not in any way saying that all women do this, because gender is a spectrum anyway. However, Susanna does this with headache medicine. (laughs) Well, it's true to a point. And uh, like, I will also take literally anything. I I'll, I don't even count them anymore. I just pile them in. And <laughs> she's just like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know, curing my headache. <laughs> Here's, we could get into the ins and outs of, of that. We can unpack that. I'm bound to pack that <laughs> not, up, though. I'm not saying that that is something There's anything wrong with that. I'm not saying, uh, I'm just saying I have what personal I, experience with what he's talking about. What I'm... What I'm saying, there is a lot of evidence to say Tylenol barely works, if at all, for headaches. Just in general. Like, um, the big part of it is the feeling that you took a pill. (laughs) It is not necessarily placebo effect, but similar to that, in that you are taking something, and then your headache gets better, and then you just go, well, it must have been the Tylenol. (laughs) Well, there's there's a lot of evidence for that, not to go all sawbones on this one, but there is a lot of evidence to say, like, it's a fever reducer, and it does reduce some aches and pains and stuff, but there is, I would say, to Meg's credit, maybe you're just hanging around with the wrong women. 
Obviously, yes. He's and and this is why over the course of this three part episode, which we have dissected ad infinitum. I know. Um he is clearly between girlfriends. And <laughs> and he's clearly had some rough patches here. And like we said last time, and I think it is not worth overstating, these are two people who experienced divorce in their 20s to each other that are now sitting there and having to deal with the significant others of the other person in some somewhat intimate ways because they're just around each other all the time. So the interaction that I read between those two with that in mind makes perfect sense because... Yes. Yeah. I I, uh, I also want it to be clear. I'm viewing this also from a modern lens. Uh, so this take is, you know, it is what it is. But it is also well known that women are far less believed by doctors when they say they have pain. <laughs> um, yeah. And so... Talk about like di- fibromyalgia and stuff like that, di- right? A, a distrust in yeah. the medical system isn't unheard of. If a woman were to go to the ER and say, I have pain, and they'll go, well, just take a Tylenol, <laughs> versus a man who goes to the doctor and go, I have pain, and they'll go, let's do some tests. Like, it, there's, yeah. there is a, a disparity there. We're talking more social yeah. politics and shit. I, I get that we're getting into the weeds here. I that, will that say that. That is a very good point. Jake. I just wanted to be clear. Maybe Jack... It, is oversimplifying this, but he is, it, the song is good. <laughs> Can I tell you something? He rhymes acetaminophen Metaphen. with, you see the medicine. You see the medicine. That's, that's pretty good. It's pretty that's, good. That's pretty damn good. I don't, th- I can't think of another human who has ever written the word acetaminophen into a song. So yeah, good for him. It's uh, it's, it's angry. It's an angry song. And I can see why mm-hmm. Meg hated it. I also don't know why Jack kept bringing it up. I guess, like, I guess he just liked it, I mean, and that's fine. I mean, I actually really like this song a lot. I mean, I never even read into it like that, um, frankly. Uh, I guess it's kind of there in plain English, but I, I was letting this song wash over me more in like a um, a musical way and not really even thinking about the lyrics too much. But this is an example for me of where that primitive sound steps up mm-hmm. in a way that sounds sophisticated. I don't know, in, in ways that for me, like just hypnotized and black math just sort of don't, but like this one, this one hits for, for me um, musically. I agree. This one's definitely got a bop to it that knowing now that it's of the white blood cells era, it has that feeling to it. It's got that an, kind of an angry edge to it that white blood cells tends to have. I will say earlier listenings to this song, like you said, you never got that read from it. I didn't either. I just took it as an analogy. I assumed he was making some kind of no. metaphor or something, but it seems pretty literal. <laughs> pretty literal. I just, that bit about him saying waddling around, I'm like, oh my God. Um, actually, when you hear the song, it's kind of just a sped up uh, ball and biscuit, almost beat for beat. Um, it's just huh. faster. I wouldn't be surprised after if those, uh, I wouldn't actually be surprised if those two were cut on the same day just because it was maybe top of mind. But um, interesting, yeah. I never noticed that until this this current listen. I don't know. I really like this song. I think Meg's right. You know, 
it's of the opinion of a young man and it shows but it's interesting i like the song and i think it sounds good so there's that and we get some great banter between jack and megan and from it so there's that which james brings us to the album closer here it's true that we love one another Well, Holly, I love you too But there's just so much that I don't know about you Jack, give me some money to pay my bill All the bill I'll give you, Holly, you've been using on pain pills Jack, will you call me if you're able? I got your phone number written in the back of my Bible Jack, I think you're pulling my leg And I think maybe I better ask Meg Meg, do you think Jack really loves me? You know I don't care, cause Jack really bugs me. Why don't you ask him now? Well, I would, but Meg, I really just don't know how. Just say, Jack, do you adore me? Well, I would, Holly, but love really bores me. Then I guess this was a favorite upon first listen continues to be a favorite to this day one of my favorite jack acoustic ditties the only time i think we ever get a guest vocal on a white stripes song at least on an album version and just an absolute delight of a tune with um special guest vocalist holly golightly there and for those of you who have not gotten their vaults or you know just plain don't have it or weren't able to order it on time you're missing out because on that dvd yeah they show you the take the exact take that winds up on the album with jack holly and meg each sitting next to each other in chairs jack on guitar holly with her hands tucked into her coat and meg smoking a cigarette the whole time she is smoking actively while that song is being recorded and not just like a rehearsal no the take she's literally taking drags and then singing the lines which is kind (laughs) of insane to think about but then you also think about jack and holly are singing while she's puffing away (laughs) and no one bats an eye at all remarkable just an absolute treasure that we actually have that artifact that that exists is um kind of a a minor miracle in my opinion yeah makes me want to pick bruce brand's brain some more yeah you can hear him and the thing um Mm -hmm. yeah and uh so this one yeah this one was recorded in that november session along with hypnotize and earlier takes of you got her in your pocket And as we mentioned, this song in a lot of ways kind of kicked off the Elephant album because, and you know, we mentioned this in part one, but just a a brief recap, Jack had written this specifically for Holly, I think the night before they went into the studio to do sort of the meet and greet with uh, Liam Watson at Toe Rag Studios. And when this version was cut, it wasn't intended to be for an album it was just them kind of fucking around a little bit and jack would wind up playing it a little later in the bbc as as ben blackwell pointed out to us and it was just decided that this would go on the next album when they did decide to to do a whole record at toe rag and i'm so happy they did i'm so happy this is the closer 
I mean, just a, a, a band highlight for me. It was one of those songs that when I first heard it, it was strange, but it was such a, a, a cool way to end the album. And uh, yeah, no, I, I, I dig it too. It's nice to hear Meg. I mean, this is also, I guess, Meg singing. Uh, yes. I know we had mentioned Cold yeah. Cold Night was, was like one of the only so- times, but um, this is also her singing with, with Holly. And it added to the mystery of the Stripes at the time. We didn't know who Holly was. Mm-hmm. Why was Meg talking? It was just a strange, it was an interaction and we wanted to know more. And I think that's kind of what it uh, does best is it, it leads to curiosity and leads to wanting more. Yeah. Well, I had no idea. Yeah, it was like, is that his wife or is that his girlfriend? Or is I had no idea at the time. By the way, those three, you know, Meg is not traditionally known in the White Stripes as a singer, but her, Jack, and Holly as a blend of voices actually sounds great. Sounds downright, like, marketable. Like, that's it's, it's like, if they were to do that more, it would sound good, I think. Because Meg has that sort of low-end thing going on, and then Holly's a bit, maybe a bit more nasally, and mm-hmm. then Jack kind of is the band leader, but bringing him all along. But, I don't know, just really fascinating. And also fascinating, again, to bring it back to that video of watching them sing this song, because Jack wrote it specifically for Holly. And some of these lines... He, we're back on the pain pills again. All the dough I give you, Holly, you've been using on pain pills. The, the, some of the lines are a little... He does squeak in, Jack, it's too bad about the way that you look. And then he threatens to break her foot. Like, it's sort of like... Little, <laughs> you know, again, this album... Some time, but... Um, in his life and just in general. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really cute lyrics. And, yeah, you could tell he's trying to do like a Johnny Cash, Roseanne Cash... Jackson sort of banter thing here. Yeah, it delves into the folk aspect of his career. <laughs> Not Roseanne Cash. Johnny Cash, June Carter. Roseanne Barr. <laughs> Roseanne Cash was top of mind because I heard on Dad's special Carl Perkins duetting Jackson with Roseanne Cash. Mm. Which is the first time I'd ever heard that song. Anyway. I don't have too much more to say about it other than I love it. And that brings us to the end of the track by track of Elephant. Fantastic album. Are we going to rate it? Well, or let's reception. Do a bit of reception okay. first. So, gentlemen, you've just recorded your first number one. Wow, an award statue! Oh, it's a Grammy. This album charted very well around the world. It hit the U.S. Billboard Top 200 at number six. For Rock Band 2003, that's not too shabby. Number one in the U.K. albums charts. Swiss album charts number 29. Sweden, number seven. Number one in Scotland. Number three on the Norwegian album charts from the country of Norwegia. (laughs) Uh, number six in New Zealand, number one in Ireland, 27 in Germany, 21 in France, 19 in Finland. I mean, we're just talking all around the world here. Australia, number four. It's a, it's a pretty good showing there. Number five in Canada. So just really, um, 
kind of knocking it out of the park there all around the world on the year-end charts. It also performed very well. It was the Billboard Top 200 57th top-selling album of 2003 in the UK. It was the 22nd, but uh, it made best of uh, the year lists just all around the world as well and uh, recharted again in in 2004. This thing was still charting well into 2004, not quite as high, but still performing pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, Two times platinum in Australia, platinum in Belgium, two times platinum in Canada, platinum in Germany, platinum in the Netherlands, platinum in New Zealand, gold in Norway, gold in Sweden, three times platinum in the United Kingdom, and two times platinum in the United States. That's a lot of records uh, in Europe in general, platinum as well. That's a success right there. That's what a success sounds like. Yeah. This album and specifically Seven Nation Army was such a success that Jack would go on to play and perform at the Grammys with Seven Nation Army uh, in 2004, which is pretty, pretty neat. Yeah. Rolling Stone called it a glorious thing to hear. It will be one of the best things you hear all year. Uncut Magazine said it's laced with enough blue-eyed longing to make the most diehard Graham Parsons fan weep with wonder and the sort of verbal acuity that would give even Dylanologists pause for thought. Elephant is where the tabloid phenomenon of summer 2001 prove that they are no flash in the pan by making a truly phenomenal record. It's a really good review from Uncut. Q Magazine said a record sufficiently impressive to suggest that white blood cells caught Jack and Meg using only a fraction of their talents. Blender says they break their own rules, even adding expansive guitar solos to keep themselves interested and fans off balance. The Guardian says the duo have refined their sound until it is shatteringly effective. Nevertheless, Elephant sounds suspiciously like the white stripes apotheosis apothesis apotheosis meaning the high point in the development of something the culmination or climax hmm. so i don't maybe i don't know i actually don't know if i agree with that or not that's a that's a that's a tough one of that band i don't know if there's a better record than this one but anyway uh new york magazine it is stranger thornier and meaner than anything in the band's past. And, of course, Pitchfork's now infamous 6.9 out of 10 review. Therein lies the contradiction of the White Stripes. How do you combine the shit hot with the twee? Elephant's <laughs> shortcomings suggest the enterprise is futile. Um, and I do love that Jack posted that on his Instagram and said, uh, what is it, Pitchfork... Uh, supporting the arts since 1990 who gives a shit <laughs> <laughs> pretty good it's really good <laughs> and that's the reception james they did win grammys for the i'm i'm going deep in the grammys because i was interested because i know they performed on the grammys in this one um they we're up for album of the year with this. Whoa. Um, but they did, they got beat out. And do you know who they got beat out by? Was it Shaggy? It was. Do you have an actual guess or do you, are you, you go with Shaggy? And it wasn't, it wasn't me. It wasn't him. You know, Grammy Award. <laughs> How about Afro Man? Was he, what was he up to? Did he, 
<laughs> wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. 2000 is, and f- wait, 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 wait. 2003. Yes, so it was the 2004 Grammys. Yeah, but it was for records from 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rising? The Rising was the previous year. Um, that's Bruce Springsteen, kids. Um, <laughs> Though Bruce Springsteen did beat Jack White in one category. What was it? Uh, him and Warren Zevon beat him. Huh. Uh, Disorder in the House by Bruce Springsteen and Warren Zevon beat out Seven Nation Army for best rock performance by a duo or group with folk. Okay. Some kind of Dylan album. Nope. No. It wasn't like You'll it, know it. You and you it won't be a surprise. Honestly, it's a good choice. Outcast dollar bills, y'all. Oh, oh sorry. Outcast. Um Yeah. The uh speaker box love below was uh, Boy. The, Yeah. I mean it's a big year for music. It's bad had, luck that they went yeah. up against that one. Yeah. It was against uh, Speaker Box Love Below, Under Construction by Missy Elliott, Fallen by Evanescence, Justified by D- Justin Timberlake, and Elephant by the White Stripes. Um, Wild hilarious. that they were in that yeah. echelon. It's so hilarious to see the credits uh, for each album because each one has like a paragraph of people credited, yeah. with <laughs> except Elephant, which is just Jack White, Liam Watson, Jack White, Noel Somerville. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That is um, crazy. I mean, Outcasts. It, that's a great album. That's a yeah. really, really good album. I mean, it did happen to win album. Best Alternative Music Album at the Grammys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wow. Anyway. Interesting. So Shaggy got beat out, huh? Shaggy. Shaggy. <laughs> it wasn't him. Mr. Lova Lova? Uh, he got beat. Yeah, no, he got beaten out. Um, I could have won fun. a Grammy at the awards. Then I got high. That's uh, Afro it, Man. That is the Afro Man. Um, Probably around that time. Uh-huh. He could have cheated. Bill Clinton and Mikhail Gorbachev won a Grammy that year for best spoken word album for children. <laughs> it was a different time. I think that's. Time. I think that. I think that uh, probably enraged vladimir putin enough to destroy the world that and restart could the cold be it. war it was clinton gorbachev and sophia loren of all people like what <laughs> they what did uh doing? wolf tracks and peter and the wolf what were we doing we were doing better things paul what were we doing 
Um, what were what were we doing? Uh, well, <laughs> I could tell you what I was doing. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's rate the record, James. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Well, James, are you going to explain the rating system? Oh, yes. <laughs> well, because we like all of the White Stripes albums and all of the Jack White albums, we couldn't go with a 10 rating system, like a normal rating system, because everything would be like seven and above. It would be great. So what we decided to do was to rate it out of three, three men, because third, third men, because that, because that's the reason. Unless anyway, we were reviewing Black Math. <laughs> So we uh, we rated out of three men. Uh, so uh, you know uh, we do one man if we like it, two men if we love it, and three men if we've got to have it. It's the Coldstone Creamery system, uh, and it is patently our system of rating. No other system can beat it. It's great. <laughs> that now that we've all actually James and I actually went to a creamery. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, not the Coldstone Creamery, but an actual literal creamery. Mm-hmm. And um, so we can now attest with our creamery expertise that this is, in fact, true. It's true. And um, actually, all the visit to that creamery got us was a uh, detour to the diary <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, that's our system. One, two, or three men. Should I go first? Yeah, James. Okay. I want to hear what you have to say about Elephant. Uh, Elephant is obviously one of the most cherished White Stripes albums. It is one of the highest rated. I think I would put it up in the upper echelon as well. It's my number two album by the Stripes, I think. Uh, Icky Thump, I think, narrowly beats it out. Uh, I really do enjoy the Icky Thump. The Icky Thump. But um, yeah, I, I think what what Elephant does is, aside from you know the the amazing songwriting and and classic uh, hits that you get out of this, it proves that the White Stripes are not a one trick pony. It proves that the White Stripes are capable of evolving while maintaining you know what they the goal they set out to do i think they are continuing to make fresh takes on the theme uh, which is really difficult when you're an artist and you you come up with you know a theme or a thesis of what you want to do you can kind of get pigeonholed and just keep making the same thing over and over and over and over again uh and what this album proves and what the last album proves is that they don't they make something fresh and new and interesting and beautiful that you wouldn't expect and i think for that reason i appreciate it way more than i used to appreciate it um so i i'm gonna go ahead and i mean i'll be generous i i'm gonna give it three men i think it deserves it it's it's uh, it's hard to it's hard to beat maybe you hate black math paul and uh maybe I hate Little Acorns. I don't hate it. I don't. I don't think either of us hate those songs. No. But it's 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 a near perfect album. I think this is you know if you were gonna share a White Stripes album with somebody, you'd share this one. Three men coming in total agreement. A hard three for me. Three men. I talked a little earlier in the series about how this one. Uh, I feel an intense personal connection to this record because it was like the first one that. I felt like was 
mine. Like it's the one that I really spent a lot of time with in my freshman year of college and, you know, being away from home and living in New York city for the first time as an 18 year old child, it was a bit of comfort to have out there in the world somebody making this kind of music because where I'm at in my life at that point is just having graduated high school and to paint you a little picture of what that was like for the P-Man Mike and I my buddy Mike and I started a classic rock club in school we pestered the DJ at our prom until they played Ramble On from Zeppelin 2 like (laughs) That's what's going on with me. Um, And so that's the kind of music, you know, that I'm steeped in and listening to. Now, I was listening to lots of other stuff, too, and hip-hop and all that stuff. And I loved, I think I've told this story before, but I loved the look on Mike's face when I bought an Outkast album at the at Best Buy, he he was aghast. He, he was like, "Why?" It was it was awesome, um, but, <laughs> but but that was the, my comfort food. That was um, uh, that kind of music. So hearing so, that was somebody else's comfort food, and that was somebody somebody else was making that music now, and it sounded so good and sophisticated and and groundbreaking. It like it took those old tropes and built on them and made something better and and greater than I could have ever imagined. Yeah, this album is intensely important to me for that reason. You know, it's putting aside all the musicality and how great the songwriting is and Jack's lyrics are just on fire. Are there better Stripes? Albums? I think I'd like Get By Me Satan more. I think that's still my favorite White Stripes album, but I don't feel that same personal investment in any other White Stripes album except this one. So yeah, that's a strong three out of me. I have very fond memories of you giving me this album burned onto a CD, uh, and I, I put it in my my Discman, my Walkman. Yeah, James and, went walking to the creamery just. <laughs> <laughs> but I would play. I would play this a, a lot. I would play this album a lot. It was also an, an important moment in music for me as well, and I, I, it was something new that i enjoyed sharing with you paul so uh it was like a yeah because i i could i i could learn beatles stuff and i could learn zeppelin stuff but it didn't feel like it was ours and i felt like this, this was ours this was ours and that was that was nice so yeah, yeah i agree so band reflections on this record quote from jack lately people have been hitting us that we're too conservative or too old-fashioned i'm not trying to preach to people I'm just, I'm not going to do the voice. I ain't going to preach to you. That's a line. Um, I'm not trying to preach to people. I'm just throwing the idea out there to see what the reaction is. It's so funny to shock people with a conservative idea. It's shocking. You should be nice to each other, to be sweet or whatever. It's scary to see that things have gone so far that people think that. Because I'm not a conservative person. I'm not a Republican or anything. I don't think that way at all. It's just because of the lifestyle rock and roll bands have. It's very hard. We're all polite to each other. But why are we polite to each other? What's the moral grounding for everything? Just society in general. What's the norm? Like, oh yeah, you don't usually walk into a room full of people naked. Well, why not? Well, I don't know. You just don't do it. 
Well, then why do you do anything? So this is <laughs> this is an interesting little spiral he's going on here <laughs> about. Uh, it's 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 turning into George Costanza's. We live in a society <laughs> here. <laughs> but I thought that that was uh, that's not I guess specifically about elephant, but it's about like um, the old school technology and some of those older fashioned things that he's espousing, the death of the sweetheart, that sort of thing. And it's uh, you know him shocking people with the conservative ideas. This isn't going to be the last time either. And he continues not to be a Republican. So there you go. On the massive success of Seven Nation Army, Jack told the Detroit Free Press, as a songwriter, it's one of the things I am most proud of being a part of. Modern folk music around the world happens when groups of people gather together in larger numbers, not in small homes or villages like it used to in the past. And many times this will happen in a sports arena, of course, particularly soccer. What thrills me the most is that people are chanting the melody which separates it from chants like, thank God I'm a country boy and we will rock you. And many of the most popular songs where large groups tend to clap or sing words and not just notes. I especially love when people have no idea what song the melody they are chanting came from. There is a scene in the film Yankee Doodle Dandy in which George M. Cohen feels this same thing about his song over there. And that inspires me greatly and makes me feel proud that I was a conduit and an antenna at one moment in time for other people to help express themselves. The less people know where it came from, the more it is ingrained in the tradition of folk music, and the more it feels anonymous to the public, the more I'm fulfilled as a songwriter. Now, along those lines, a scant week or so ago, I don't know what time is anymore, a week or two maybe, maybe it was just a week, I don't know, when those two state senators were expelled from the Tennessee House over the gun control protests that they were staging. When they were leaving, after they were voted out, a crowd gathered in the rotunda and was chanting Seven Nation Army. (laughs) Why? It had nothing to do with them. It was just a cultural it doesn't to do with like the white stripes or the content of the song or the, it was literally just a melody people were rallying around that feels inherently kind of powerful for some reason because there's a an ex- escalation to it or whatever the reason is some music theologist can figure that out mm-hmm. but that was a really cool moment and seeing jack post it on instagram and just with the knowledge of how proud he must have been, especially after reading a quote like that, that's really cool. You know, that's really, really cool. Yeah, and it unlocks something primal in the brain, that chant. There's a reason it's used in sports games. It's it just it's hard to come up with a with a chant like that. It's it that really feels it feels primal. You want to like it's reason that people just scream the the notes. Um, and it's hard to do. And it's masterfully done. Indeed. At the time, Jack said this album is a close second to the first record in terms of his favorite Stripes recordings. Now, through the course of this discussion, we've actually kind of covered the Vault stuff already. But just to just to touch on it real quick. So the 20th anniversary Vault came with a, a DVD, which has on it uh, an interview with Jack and Meg from roughly that time. It's, I mean, based on Jack's hair, it looks... Like maybe like either like right before he broke his finger or somewhere in the 
or somewhere in that vicinity. I wouldn't say there's anything in that interview particularly revelatory. He kind of looks uncomfortable, although Meg talks quite a bit, which is unusual. They don't really say anything kind of that jumped out to me as like, wow, I can't believe they said that or anything like that. But it was cool. It's a cool artifact to have. It comes with some live performances as well. And the two things that are, as we mentioned, uh, to, to me anyway, the most interesting are the It's True That We Love One Another studio video recording and the eight millimeter stuff that was shot for the hardest button to button video, which they preface by saying they don't know who shot this or why they just found it. Um, and it's eight millimeters. So it looks like an old school video thing. It actually, you know what it reminded me of? Cause a lot of it takes place in a subway and around New York, it reminded me of the warriors and Jack kind of looks like one of the warriors in it anyway, cause he's got the hair and the, yeah. and the shirt and stuff. So uh, it, it's really cool. It is it is quite long, and there is no audio to it. And so that Mark Watros, Raconteur's original auxiliary player extraordinaire, <laughs> and I want to say Greenhorn. Hey, aces for for the incidental music. Although I gotta say, after a while, I thought I was tripping balls. <laughs> <laughs> because it's very swirly, kind of. <laughs> piano version of the song and at a certain point i was like help me i could actually couldn't get off the couch i was like help (laughs) and my son is just over there in the mamaru like looking at it with his like drool and his eye pupils are all dilated meanwhile paul's popping pill after pill after pill of cbd because he has faith in medicine (laughs) (laughs) we have fun we and then the records, they, they, it's this beautiful mono mix of the album, and there's all these little gems and things, extra bars here and there, sprinkled throughout, which are really cool. So, um, and the book is beautiful. It's uh, got the uh, photographs, uh, the the extra photographs taken by um, Pat Pantano. Yeah, they give you the whole reel of the... Yeah, yeah. which is really nice. You could see where they marked on the negatives, which photos to to use for for the single covers and stuff. And then you get to see all of the Elephant Era gig posters, including the first ever gig poster Rob Jones did for the White Stripes. That's right. It's in there with the, uh, the Union Forever reference, which is really cool. And his posters, by the way, are just, you could tell why Jack stuck with them because they're above and beyond, like, not not to disparage the other posters, the other, the other posters are fine, but Rob's are another level, I think. They are, they are a tier above. And to go on a tangent, uh, Funko did you dirty, Rob. Uh, we love you. And um, you deserved better and Mondo deserves better. Yeah, but- that's, uh, it's a shame. That's a shame uh, that that happened. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, the book, is great. It's beautiful. Uh, the package is is wonderful. The box is so nice, and it fits. Oh, they do such a nice job of making a set look like a set on a shelf. They didn't pull a Simpsons by yeah. making a plastic clamshell case at season six. Why did they do that? <laughs> so yeah, it it looks beautiful. Uh, I'm curious what will come for the Get Behind Me Satan double xbox set if we will get that i hope we do and then i am extra curious if we'll get a double xbox set for icky thump because we have an x box set for icky thump 
That is fairly comprehensive. Right. So will we get a double X? Because we have a at this point we've had a mono vault, They're and not we've had to not do it. I, yeah. I, well, the, would would the X count as the first in the set? Like, does the tenth anniversary? It's weird that we're coming up on the twentieth anniversary of Icky Thump when the tenth anniversary was. I mean, that's just the nature of time. But <laughs> that's a whole presidency away, though. We don't have to worry about that right now. <laughs> Um, That's right. DeSantis will will say President DeSantis no. <laughs> will ban that from the classroom <laughs> with his infamous I'll, "Don't say I'll, Meg" vault. Yeah, I'll uh, have to paper over my entire uh, vault collection. Thank you all for joining us on this three part series. We hope you had a good time revisiting this album uh, as we did, and we are very much looking forward to bringing you the uh, the next episodes that we have here. As I mentioned, I'm not trying to. We have recorded them. I swear. I swear. <laughs> I swear. And they are good. So you're going to get those soon. And we don't know how many more necessarily are in the can for this season. Uh, how much? We, how much more we have in the in the tank? But even if this was an abbreviated season, we finally got to Elephant. So that's good. Yeah, we've been putting that off for a long time. And despite our. Uh, inconsistencies you you all uh in the audience have been uh in in the audience as if we have a live studio audience you all who are listening have been uh, just wonderful and patient and not only that we've gotten extra patreon uh donors this year and and that's that's been super helpful and so nice and so kind of you all uh because it definitely helps and uh so i want to say from the bottom of my heart thank you and I know you've probably uh, already about to hit the skip 30 button or the exit button. So I'm just going to say thanks and we'll move along. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Rob Rains. He's a new patron. We just, we just got, yeah. that was very nice, Rob. So uh, I think uh, until next time, Paul, unless you have anything else to add. I will be looking for a home just talking so much trash about black math. I am so There was a lot of people <laughs> who wrote to us about that. I am allowed not to like a song. <laughs> and I will be looking for a home. <laughs> salty. Paul is salty. <laughs> I will be looking for a home with uh, just palling around with Bill Clinton and Mikhail Gorbachev <laughs> and Sophia Loren singing Peter and the Wolf. Oh, man. I'm going to find that. <laughs> <laughs> find that and put it on the end here. All right, everybody. We'll see you uh, next time. Bye. The Third Man Podcast was created, edited, and produced by Paul and James Kaminsky. Our theme song, We're the Third Men, was recorded by the band Radkey, who can be found at radkey.net. To contact the show, visit thirdmenpodcast.com or email thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at the third men underscore podcast on Instagram, at thirdmencast on Twitter, and search the third men on Facebook. Thanks to our Patreon patrons, to everyone who has rated, reviewed, and subscribed, and see you next time. I'm eating some snow caps. <laughs> the, the best thing for audio. You know, because it's noon on a Friday. <laughs>
and I, I forever walk around in a movie theater of my own mind. What? <laughs> Welcome back to the Third Men Podcast. Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough. But if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right. It's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody. I'll see you on the show. Well, that sounds really dangerous, James. Well, I was hanging diapers, you see. And uh, a wasp comes up to me. He says, hey. And I go, hey, (laughs) you shouldn't be here. And he goes, "Eh." (laughs) huh. And so I took a diaper, and I smacked it. Um, and then I, I, I lost it. I, I lost it. And then it just started zooming around me, and I was like, ah. And so I'm hanging diapers as fast as I can. You, you did all of that to a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant? I really don't like them. It's the Protestantism, you see. I'm, I'm a to, Catholic. I had to Google that. <laughs> I knew it was derogatory to someone and then I decided that white Anglo-Saxon Protestants have had it too good for too long here comes the P-Man coming at you hot I'm John, I'm Bob, I'm John, I'm Rigo. and I'm Wayne Kaminsky You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. You TikTok something, everything's content, baby. You know, I found out our uh, the DC in universe TikTok is called Yip Yap. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 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 yep. And, and it really begs the question: What else could you call TikTok that's even funnier? Beep pop. Beep pop, <laughs> scoop pop. This will be the the portion of the show, and me and Paul just say <laughs> sounds that kind of resemble TikTok. Teet toot, <laughs> teet toot. <laughs> oh, let me just get on teet toot real quick. As he put his pipe aside, grandfather idly studied his grandson Peter, intensely reading a book. 
The boy's concentration was great, and his imagination soared with the stories. Fairies with glittering wands, fire-breathing dragons, and the tale of a young boy and a wolf. Wolf, grandfather sighed, closing his eyes. Here we go again. His mind drifted back to his own childhood adventure and the wolf that played a part in it. Suddenly, Peter looked up from his books and shouted, his face aglow with dreams of conquest. Grandfather, I am going to capture a wolf. Leave those noble creatures in peace, Grandfather answered. Do you know what a habitat is? Is that smoking your pipe too much, asked Peter. No, that's a habit, and a bad one at that. A habitat is a place where wolves live, but with their forests nearly gone, they've become hungry, desperate animals. Best leave them alone. With that, the old man nodded off.